Hello ninjas and ninjas, and welcome to another episode of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name is Tim Cameron Kitchen, best-selling digital marketing author and head ninja at Exposure Ninja, which is a digital marketing agency in the UK. In this episode, I'm joined again by Todd Tresseder. Now he joined us in the previous episode to talk about how he's built the organic traffic to his site, financialmentor.com. And in this episode, we're talking very specifically about a content audit process which he went through, which has really uh, laid the foundations for the amount of traffic that he's getting to the site now. So the process that he's gonna take us through in this episode resulted in him increasing his traffic by 7,000%. And you'll hear in one particular example that he mentions where he deleted a third of the content on his site and tripled the amount of traffic coming back to it. So a really interesting content audit process that he takes us through. And again, Todd's emphasis on quality and becoming the top authority on the subject online really, really comes through. So if you haven't listened to the previous episode, then I definitely encourage you to check that one out first and then come back to this one. But if you don't want to do that, then you'll still get plenty of value from this one. Anyway, without further ado, enjoy the show. So Todd, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Tim. (laughs) So last time we went through your approach to, to content and the content marketing that you do on the site. And we alluded to this content audit, which you uh, which you carried out. So we're going to dig into the, uh, the step-by-step process that you went through to do that. So maybe you could set the scene and just give us a bit of a, uh, a bit of a ballpark uh, about what this content audit is really all about. Yeah. So in the last interview, we talked about quality is the new SEO. Remember, I was joking around with you. I was saying, oh, that's a tweetable and all this. So quality is the new SEO. So then the question is, well, how do you implement it? right? How do you actually produce quality? And so the backdrop of the story, I actually fumbled into this, right? Because I was, I developed the content audit strategy before it became mainstream. As we record this, which is May of 2017, it's progressively becoming more mainstream. Large sites have been doing it for about a year now. And so people are figuring it out. I fumbled into it before that. And the reason I fumbled into it was my site was a piece of junk. I mean, it had every mistake you can imagine embodied in the work because I didn't know what I was doing when I started as almost nobody does, right? You learn, you learn over time and your mistakes get captured inside the site as you produce more and more content and shift things around and change things and whatever. And so what happened was I kept having all these business plans, all these things I wanted to implement. And I kept having yeah, buts, right? Like, I want to go implement my seven steps to seven figures courses, right? We talked about that in the last interview. Yeah, but before I do that, I need to do this. I need to rework the menus. I need to do this. I need to structure dynamic sidebar. Like all these things are all these yeah, buts, right? And the list went on and on and on. And so finally, I just had enough with my yeah, buts. And I said, you know what? I'm going to set aside the time, put the site together the way I want it to grow my business, the way I want to grow my business. And I didn't care how long it took. It was, I was basically at a point, Tim, I was either going to do a complete site audit and and get the site the way I wanted, or I was going to have to go out of business. I was just going to have to fold the thing because I couldn't, I couldn't move forward. The site was so stuck. So that's where the content audit came from. It was just a commitment to turn the site around. And then I'm a bit obsessive compulsive, right? So once I got into it, it was like, okay, now let's do, so I created like a standard operating procedure for every post and 
created all these checklists and all these things to go to the latest best practices. So anyway, that's kind of the backdrop of where it came from is this idea that quality is the new SEO, right? Google's always been clear they want to return the highest quality user experience. And so my site was a piece of junk. I wanted to up the quality level of it. And so I went through what I call a site audit. So that's it. And and it's different to a site audit like most people might think of where you look at some basic things like, is my menu okay? Yes, cool, move on. Do I need to, you know, change my page titles and my subscriptions? You're basically looking at a complete rebuild on you or even a reimagining of what your website is about. Exactly. Yeah. So let's make it intuitive, right? Most people understand it better if they if we couch it in terms of a book, right? Think of, let's call it a site edit instead of a site audit because people have these horrible experiences with audits, right? <laughs> so let's call it a site edit and let's refer to your site like a book where all the different categories are like chapters in the book and the pages represent pages in the book and it'll become more intuitive. When you write a book, you know, you start at a point you write the book, you finish it. Now you never publish that book. What you then do is you take it through a content edit, right? Where it's a contextual edit, where all the, you think like, does this really need to be here? Is the logic flow correct? Do I have all the information right? Is it structured properly? Then you go through and you do peer review edits. And then once you get through that, then you do line edits and then you rework it and you add graphics. And then you go on. I mean, the amount of work that goes into book writing it is maybe one third of the effort. And then another third of the effort is editing and another third of the effort's marketing. It's just a Herculean task to do right. Well, that's the same thing as your site. If you think about it, you wrote one post one day and then you wrote another post and you wrote another post. And over time, your writing style changed. And over time, best practices have changed. I mean, when I started my site, Pinterest didn't exist. YouTube didn't exist, right? Internal linking practices were different back then. There's all kinds of things that changed over time, but my site embodied all this old stuff. In fact, my old post didn't link to my new post. My new post didn't link to my old posts. And I, I mean, I just had a mess on my hands. I, I did some really stupid stuff too. Like I put things that should have been posts were in pages and on and on and on. And so you come back and you say like a book, you wouldn't publish a first draft of a book. But if you think about your site, you've essentially published a first draft of your site. That's what everybody's seeing. And so you need to go back through it, do a content edit and decide what you're keeping, what you're getting rid of, what you're improving, all these different things. And that's what we're going to talk about. So it's a huge mammoth task, just like writing a book. Do, do you start with the content topics that you're going to go after? Do you start with your, the goal that you have for the user? Where do you even begin this process? The beginning of the process is deciding what your site stands for, Right. So what I did was I had my, my tech guy, I had him produce a spreadsheet with every page and post on the site. And I don't know if you've ever printed out a, a database dump from your website, but it all comes out as numbers, right? And then, so I put it all to a spreadsheet and then I added the post title or page title or whatever, so I could tell what it was. Then I started organizing by categories and you know all that stuff and got it all organized on a spreadsheet. So starting point is knowing everything on your website. And then you have to go through and you have to rank it, I guess you'd call it, or uh, categorize it according to the following four categories, which are keep, improve, consolidate, remove. So I'll repeat that. Keep, improve, consolidate, and remove. 
So keep is the stuff that's really excellent as is. Like it's so good, it deserves to be number one in Google for that term. And that's the criteria I use for every article on the site. It needs to be so good that it deserves to be number one for that term. If it's not, then it should be reworked, right? So that takes you to the second category, improve. So if you're going to improve, that means it could be updated with new data, new research. You know, your understanding has grown over time. You develop more knowledge on that topic. So there may be things you want to add to the article, things that are out of date, remove from it. And so improve is about updating and expanding the article to become the absolute best for that search term. And then consolidate is where you have a bunch of articles on a related topic. So, you know, I don't write a lot about debt, debt stuff, right? Because my site's about advanced topics, you know, not mundane savings and debt reduction and that kind of stuff. But if I did, right, you know, there might be 12 topics on or 12 articles on 10 tips to save, you know, get out of debt and how to get out of debt faster and four action steps you got to do. And you'd have all these things. Well, you can take all those and turn them into an ultimate guide on how to get out of debt right? You could take them and create a mega pillar post that targets that keyword. And then you would consolidate those articles to the best ranking URL on your site for that term. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah it makes total sense. And so now you've got one authoritative pillar post that you're trying to direct value to and links to and promote as opposed to 14 posts that are all kind of junky and fragmented. And then the other thing that you can do is you can remove. And that's because it's off-brand or it's irrelevant. And so what you do, going back here, just kind of repeating, but cycling through now, you know, the four ways you categorize all your traffic. You have the spreadsheet, you're going through everything. And the starting point, you, you can either get super technical on this. Like a lot of guys, you know, you pull down your stuff from Screaming Frog and, you know, or you do a database dump or you get it from Webmaster Tools, wherever you get your data from. And some of these guys will get super technical with a content audit. They'll be like, you know, how many page views it gets and they'll do all these math algorithms. And for me... It was more looking at it and going, is this off-brand or on-brand? What does my brand stand for? That was the first starting point question, right? Because I want my site to be tightly themed. And my site's all about financial independence, retiring early, smart investment strategy. Okay, so it's all really tightly themed around a basic concept, which is financial freedom. So my site's tightly themed around these, these specific topics. And so I just went through and it was real easy for me to find old posts that I'd written that were off topic or just specific to a time period, you know, of like, you know, I was writing about bank bailouts back when there was a bunch of bank bailouts in the U S or something. And it's just, it's not relevant now. So news driven posts, link posts, anything that you can think of that just, you know, it's just off brand. It's not a great user experience. I mean, here's the common sense thing. When you think about it, Tim, any site that's been around for a few years has more content than anyone readers ever going to consume right? And so if you're publishing once a week, it doesn't take very long to have more content than anyone reader wants to consume. So you want to think about how do you make your content truly great, deserves to rank number one, and how do you make your user experience so they find nothing but great stuff on your site? I'm, I'm just thinking, I, I was talking to Vodafone earlier this week about, about their SEO, a large mobile phone brand in the UK. Uh, the, the thing they were particularly interested in was broadband here. As a huge global brand like that, they don't even think they don't even start to think about content on this level they're very much thinking what's the absolute minimum we can show or what have we got right 
How important do you think it is it for for smaller companies to take this approach? Because this feels like something. If Google's focusing on quality, and if your site is, like you said, if you keep it, it's the stuff that deserves to rank at the top of Google, which I think is probably the most important definition of what good content should be ever. Do you feel that this is something where smaller businesses could compete with these huge global brands just by focusing and taking this approach? Absolutely. I already do it. It, Like if I wanted to rank for broadband, like take that term broadband, you know, you can go in and do keyword research and find all the related terms for broadband. You could build a category on your site around broadband, and then you can build this just amazing resource library as all the articles within the category. As long as that made sense for your site, like, you know, if you look at my site, the categories are retirement planning, investment, investment advice, financial advice, wealth building, and financial coaching. So those are like the big categories on the site. And then everything else stems from money and calculators. And, and then everything else is built as themes around that category. So you have these silos of authoritative content. And if you look, I mean, everybody knows from the last interview, I rank highly for calculator terms. And I'm top ranked for financial coach, money coach, and coaching terms. And you only have to do it once and you can build a whole business from it. So that was essentially how I built my coaching business in the early days, was I built out all the authoritative content on financial coaching. You can go ahead and search financial coach and go try to find a site that has more authoritative content than I provide. It doesn't exist. That's why my site ranks near the top. The only reason Dave Ramsey ranks me for, I think, the financial coach term is because he's such an authoritative site. He's such a huge media figure that even though his site isn't as authoritative on the subject, he still outranks me. So he, I mean, there's multiple layers to this, but the point is the little guy can compete. I would be a little guy compared to him in terms of site authority and media exposure. And I'm right behind him in rankings for those terms. And, and I think though it's, it's also to get that authority and to build the number of links and the, the quality of links that you need to do something like Dave Ramsey or, you know, like a Vodafone or something. For, for me, Tim, the other thing too is why are you here? What are you trying to do? I'm trying to give value. You know, I want to help people. That's why I'm in this business. And so I want to deliver content that really helps and really delivers. And it just so happens that's really smart SEO too. But that's kind of more my come from. It's more about what do I want to create here? I look on the site. I mean, this is going to sound kind of pretentious or whatever, but it's, um, I look on the site as an art form. This is, this is a work of art. I care what goes on there. I don't publish. I, I think I have three or four guest posts on this, on the entire site and they're all excellent. And everybody knows if they're going to write a guest post for me, it has to be like really something unusually good, you know? So, I mean, I care. So going back to the, the content audit process then, so you, you've audited all of the different pages on your site. When, when you were doing this, did you start thinking about design and user experience as well? Or was all that stuff in place beforehand? No, no, it was part of the process also. So I had a really, you could go to the Wayback Machine on my site. For people that aren't familiar with that, there's a thing called the Wayback Machine. It'll show different dates of the site, you know, what the site looked like at different points in time. So they can see what a piece of junk it was back then. (laughs) Um, And then I did a complete site redesign as part of the content audit, and I just blew it. I mean, I got so many things wrong. And so, and users let me know, right? They would come in and they, it was clunky. It loaded slow. I mean, it looked pretty, right? And that's, that's the mistake, right? It looked pretty, 
but it was an extremely complex design with a lot of graphics and all this stuff. It wasn't mobile friendly. It didn't convert well to mobile, you know, so it wasn't good across platforms. There's just a lot of mistakes. And so the site design you see here is actually a fourth generation. I had to go through it a couple of times before I kind of found that strike that balance between simplicity. So it's intuitive, right? Because you don't want to violate uh, user expectations. That's a real mistake in design where people think they're clever by making their links, they underline their links with purple, right? And they think that's clever. No, come on. The, 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 the convention is blue and everybody intuitively knows it, right? And you mouse over a link and it changes color. Don't make it go white or something really foolish, right? It, that's, that's the intuitive convention. And orange is an action color. So I use orange as an action color. And so everywhere on my site that turns orange is an action. So that follows an intuitive convention. So you got to find the strike between intuitive and clean and professional, uncluttered, and yet professionally designed. And it's, I mean, when I say all that, it sounds impossible. It's not, you can do it. And it has to be, it has to be designed from the beginning as cross-platform compatible. And that means you want to make things kind of modular, right? So like, if you look at my homepage, you'll see how all the components are somewhat modular. And that's on purpose because then you can rearrange them vertically, horizontally, whatever, depending on what platform you're on. And you can change the number of components that show up depending on screen width. What's the process you went through with the design? Did you work with a professional design company? Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I, I can remember that quote from, uh, there was a Supreme Court judge on a case in the US where he said, uh, we may not have a definition for porn, but we all know it when we see it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? And so good design's the same way. Like I, I'm, not a de- I'm not a designer, right? But I know good design when I see it. But it took a while for me to develop the eye for a well-designed site. Um, that was a skill I had to develop, you know, versus something that just looked good, but a a site that was well-designed from the, from the bottom to the top. So it would be fast. It would load well, it would cross-platform compatible, all those things. It took a while for me to start seeing what that looked like and how to design a site that way. And so, yeah, ultimately it was all done by professionals. We, we design sites for clients and, and one of the most challenging situations is when a client has a really clear idea of what they want the thing to look like. And you know, from a user perspective, it's going to be horrible. So classic example, full screen above the fold slider. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's so documented and so well proven that that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 I guess, understanding that yes, design comes very high in the priority list, but above all comes user experience. And the design has to fit around the user experience, not the other way around, right? Well, well, and again, that's just smart SEO, right? Because Google will track user experience on the site. They will track exactly what users do on your site. They know how many click-throughs and how much time on a page, how many pages viewed. All those things are being tracked and that will affect what kind of traffic your site gets, how well you rank, everything. So why fight it? Right. If you do, if you design everything from the beginning for user experience, you want them to have a high quality user experience. You want it to be intuitive. You want it to be user friendly. Always think of your user first. I mean, this is not rocket science, man. This is right. Customer first. That's all we're saying, right? That customer comes first. Customer's right. You may think it looks cool this way. I don't care. The customer will tell you what's cool based on what they do and how they interact with the site. Exactly. 
do you run any heat mapping or what sort of analytics do you run on the site to, to I haven't, check the people? I haven't done it yet. And that's only because I haven't gotten around to it. So in other words, I should do it. But right now, that's not the most important critical factor to my success. Right now, I have to get the courses done for the conversion. I have a quality site and I have lots of traffic. And so now I just have to give them something to buy, right? Which is where the courses are coming in and the books. And so, you know, that's what I prove and convert to my site. Once people start reading my content, they go, oh, I want to know what this guy knows. And so they'll buy my books and my courses, they'll buy my educational material. And so that's the focus now. So I haven't been adding much content to my site. You know, so one of the premises where you had me on the show is that my traffic has grown 7X in the last couple of years. And that's with adding almost new content to my site. So I went from 30,000 monthly unique visitors, just a little under that, to about 210,000 today. And that's with adding almost new content. And that's all just through quality improvements. That's a big testimonial for quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is not... This is not something that was just made up. I stumbled into it only because I care, right? Like I told you, where this came from, part of it, where it came from, I was at my niece's wedding and all these family members were around that I hadn't seen in a long, long, long time, right? And everybody was in attendance and all these people were walking up going, hey, Todd, I've been following you on the internet. Hey, I like your site, all this stuff. And what was weird was I cringed. I cringed because this was back before I did the content audit. I cringed. It was such a clue to me because I wasn't proud of what I had. Yeah. I wasn't proud of what I'd created. And that was when I came back and started this whole process. I went, wow, what does that tell you when you're not proud enough to show it to your family? <laughs> right? I wanted, I wanted it to truly be the best and I knew it wasn't my best. I knew it wasn't a truly a reflection of what I was trying to create. Yeah, I do. Um, did a seminar recently and at one point we we're talking about user experience. And at one point there's a slide that comes up that says, now I'm going to pick one of you and we're going to take apart your site on screen. And I just, I leave it sitting there and watch people's faces and they just, they want the ground to shrink, you know, to, to swallow them up. They're just absolutely terrified that theirs is going to be the site that's pulled up. And the punchline is, oh, don't worry, guys, I'm not actually going to do that. That's another session. But if you felt a twinge of embarrassment or fear at that point, that's the signal. Like, this is your website. There's nothing really more important online. This is your shop front. Why would you have a shop front which you're embarrassed about? That seems crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And there should be nothing that you're ashamed of, right? Like I have no interstitials on my site anywhere. There's no pop-ups, no nothing. Why? Because I don't want them, you know? It's, I, I don't want that as a user experience. And, and it hurts conversion too. And that's something that I haven't seen published anywhere else, but I actually did the research. I shared this in the last podcast we did where... You know, I went from a 2.2% conversion down to about a 1.9 or 1.95% conversion of unique visitors to new subscribers when I added interstitials, when I added pop-ups and slide-ins and things coming from the bottom and things coming from the top and all the crap that everybody does to try to interrupt you. And I proved that it actually hurt conversion. If you have quality opt-in bait, quality opt-in incentives, so people have a positive reason that delivers value to them to opt in. You only heard it when you interrupt them. And we're seeing Google now punishing sites which use interstitials anyway. And why would Google punish something that was good and that people liked? It doesn't make any sense. And that's a very that's a very telling thing you went through, Tim, because I, I proved out the interstitial thing like a year and a half before Google brought in the penalty for interstitials. Hmm. And so it's this thing again about, don't worry about the Google algorithm, right? 
If you focus on quality, they've made it clear from the beginning that they want to deliver the highest quality result. If you focus your site around providing the highest quality experience for any single keyword that you're trying to rank for, just go for it. Do that. Always focus on quality. Always deliver quality. Eventually, they'll figure it out. Do you see your site as finished now? Do you do you think a Gosh. site is ever finished or is there something which you feel has to constantly evolve? Oh my God. I, I wish there was 10 of me. There's uh, my, my to-do list is miles long, right? Like you just went through and asked me about heat maps and I said, yeah, I'm supposed to do it. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I should be doing A-B testing on my sales pages. I mean, there's all these things I should be doing, but it's like, I'm just putting out the biggest fire first, the most critical, most important thing to move the site forward each step of the way, right? And so, no, 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 it's, it's never done. I, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, my site's broken right now. There's so many things <laughs> I need to do to it. It's, it's always a work in progress. It's broken, but you're proud of it. Yeah, but at least now if somebody looks at it, I, you know, and like, you know, when we started the podcast, you complimented me on it. It's like, thank you. You know, like I can accept it. I feel good about it. It's, mm. I'm, I'm pleased with where it's going. Is there anything else that you want to add around the site audit process, Todd? Yeah, yeah. Well, do you want to get in the nitty gritty of how it's done? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. What from the from the actual rebuilding? Yeah, yeah. So like when you go into it, so I, I gave you the four categories, keep, improve, consolidate, remove. But then the question is, what do you do with these, right? Let's look at some of the action steps for the keeps, right? Because these will interplay across all the rest of them as well. So when you keep an article, you can still go through and edit it with new info. And another thing you probably want to do when you do it is to figure out a, an article-specific opt-in specifically targeted to that article. So like, let's say you have a get-out-of-debt article, okay, staying with the theme here. That get-out-of-debt article might offer the complete get-out-of-debt guide for free, download it here as an opt-in bonus, right? Because that's, or it could offer a special spreadsheet on how to do the debt snowball, download it here. And, and so then you have this opt-in incentive tailored specifically to that article that'll dramatically increase your conversion rates. So that can be part of that keep process. We're right now we're covering the keep article process, right? So remember there's keep, improve, consolidate, remove. We're on action steps inside the keep. So you can edit the article, you can add a targeted opt-in bonus. Look at the quality of it. You know, is it is it good enough to be number one? Does it compare failure to number one? What do you have to do to it to get it to be truly the best in that category? Is it grabby? Does it have a headline and a first paragraph that hooks the reader in? Remember, the job of the headline is to get you to read the first sentence. The job of the first sentence is to read the next sentence. Job of the first paragraph is to read the second paragraph. How hooky and grabby is your content? Images. Does every post have a featured image? Do the images resize appropriately to each social media? Because each of the social media uses different image sizes as ideal image sizes. So when people post to social media from your site using the links, does it give the correct image and size? Are you using the title tags and alt tags correctly? Do you have the correct metadata that associates with all the different social media in it? Do you have Pinterest-friendly images? Remember, when my site started, the Pinterest didn't even exist. So a lot of sites only have rectangles, right? You know, uh, horizontal rectangles as opposed to the vertical, which is stronger on Pinterest. Duplication. Do you have other articles of similar title on the on your website? Did you, have you updated your tags? Another big problem that's coming out now is tag clutter. So tags are fine, but use them sparingly and use them intelligently. Get rid of tag clutter when you go through this process. Update your internal linking because you've published a lot of articles since this one was written. You're going to publish more in the future. 
What's your internal linking policy on the site? Is that congruent with uh, search engine policy? So there's, there's different themes on that. Yoast SEO plugin. I use the Yoast SEO plugin. Do you have a green light? You know, how's the readability? For me, my readability always fails just because I have technical articles. But again, go through the Yoast SEO plugin and check to make sure you got a green light for that term. Delete the old comments. That's a possibility. Do you want to delete your old comments? Do you want to keep them? How do you want to do it? Change the date and republish. That's another strategy you can do is, I think it was HubSpot documented 108% increase in traffic to an article after they republish it. And again, that's common sense when you think about it. You have a certain amount of links, social media attention, everything else that goes to an article. When you republish it, a lot more people link to it and more social media attention, which increases the authority of the article, right? So you can look at republishing it by changing the date and republishing, but keeping the same URL. So anyway, that's, that's the keep. And then for consolidating what you want to do, do you, do you have any questions or comments on that before I go to the next one? No, no, it's, it's fantastic. Keep going, keep going. <laughs> Make your job very easy. For consolidate, you want to take several related posts and turn them into a pillar post. And then for deleting, this is a piece that a lot of people get because when I first talked about this, you know, the, the thing was, how, how did I triple my traffic? Because back then, in the first year after I did this, I tripled my traffic. And so the catchy title, again, because remember, I just told you you have to have catchy titles. So the catchy title of this was how I tripled my traffic by deleting a third of my content. <laughs> so that's the catchy title, the hooky title, right? So a lot of people, when they hear what I'm teaching, they think it's only about deleting junk content and it's not. That's a first step. Um, so when you're deleting content, you know, you get rid of out of date content, irrelevant content, off brand content, low quality stuff that's not getting any traffic or any social media attention because it's diluting the overall quality of your site, you know, old sponsored posts, old blog carnivals or old roundup posts or any of that stuff, just get rid of all of it. And what you do when you delete it is you have to do either a 301, 410 or 404. And there's some controversy on this because, you know, in SEO, everything has controversy. And so what you want to do is you want to 301 redirect when you have a relevant proper equivalent article on your site. And so I had a ton of 301 redirects. I think I deleted like I don't even remember now, but it was over a hundred articles on my site all at one day. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Cause I had it all done on a spreadsheet, like I was saying, right? So I just went through and did this mass delete and then mass redirect. And my site vanished from the search rankings. Hmm. I mean, I had terms I've always been on page one for. I was on like page 14. Terms I'd been on page two for, I wasn't even showing up anywhere on the radar, right? Like I just vanished from the search rankings when I did this. I mean, I was scared to death. I thought, oh my God, I did something wrong. A week to the day later, a week to the day later, my site came back and it was stronger than ever. Like if I had been before, like I'd been number four on page one, I was now in number two on page one. If I'd been on page two, I was now on page one. Like I have no idea what happened. I can only venture a guess that I somehow, I did so many content deletions, so many article deletions, and I had so many 301 redirects that I had triggered some sort of manual review of my site. And when they saw what I was doing, I think they actually liked it, but I, I don't know. I'll, I'll never know, but it's just kind of a fascinating story. You know, I mean, your worst nightmare, right? You just vanish from the search rankings. So anyway, you know, you don't want to 301 redirect to your homepage. That's a no, no. You want to 301 redirect to relevant content and occasionally to your category. If you don't have any relevant articles in that category, but again, try to always find a relevant article to redirect to. And if you've been blogging for a while, that shouldn't be too hard to do. 
A 410 on an article you delete means there's no equivalent, it's truly deleted, and that Google should remove it from the search rankings. And so that's fine to do as well if you truly have no equivalent and you just want to show that it's gone forever. What you don't want is a 404, right? And this goes back to the same thing about quality and good user experience. A 404 is just sloppy webmaster. It means the content's not found, you haven't managed your site right, and it's a lousy visitor experience. So that's what you do with the delete stuff. Yeah. And we, when, when we're doing some kind of content audit like that, I know you're on WordPress and there's a great plugin called Redirection, which will show you where all your 404s are coming from. And then you can just set up the 301s to take people back to an equivalent or the newer version of the article. So yeah, you have to be careful too, because it varies, it varies with your server configuration. And I'm not an expert on this, but there's different server configurations that require the redirects to be managed in different ways. Yes. Yes. But providing that you're using standard Linux and every, you know, standard, you know, shared hosting or uh, VPS, then most of the time that redirection plugin should, uh, should sort you out. Yeah. Okay. So I also wanted to ask you about the consolidation as well, um, because prevailing theory is, you know, the more, the more articles you have, the better, but here you're saying, you know, let's build these ultimate pillar posts as, as you call them. If someone has a bunch of, of articles which take on a particular topic in slightly different ways, would you say they're still better to combine this all into one kind of Bible post, which just covers every single potential angle? Or are there times when it does make sense to have a few different, uh, a few different posts about the same topic? Well, I, my bias is do one post and cover it completely, you know, so you give somebody a complete resource guide on a topic. So a great example on my site is pay off mortgage earlier invest, right? That's a very popular topic in my space, in the financial education space around once people have surplus funds, where should they use them? Should they pay down their debt or should they build assets? And so I got sick of seeing everybody's short form posts on this, right? You know, one guy is all about get out of debt. So he'll talk about why you have to get out of debt. Another guy will talk about how you have a higher return on your investment. And everybody was doing these fragmented posts. And so I finally just went through and I structured it and I went through exactly how you analyze the decision so you, so you come to a conclusion that's correct for you. And I even gave my personal story about how I varied my own answer over my lifetime and what, and what impact it had on my finances. And so it's a complete analysis. And the response I've gotten from the financial blogging community is they've linked to it a whole bunch because it's so authoritative. There's no point in them writing their own post. That's the thing, isn't it? You can have these short posts which address one particular question and you might have a couple thousand words on that. But if you've got this ultimate guide, it's going to pick up so many, na- I don't want to say natural because that word is overused, but it's going to pick up so many links because people are like, they're talking about a topic, they search for something to back up their position. And they find a resource, which is your resource, because you've covered so much in there that it's you know going to be showing up for a whole bunch of long tail stuff. And these posts end up picking up so many links because they cover the topic in such depth that that kind of creates a bit of a snowball effect, doesn't it? And then it, that increases the visibility of the post. It means it shows up for even more longer tail phrases. And you just kind of build this, this huge authority around the, these pillar content pieces. Yeah. And the next step for me is I'm trying to get better at storytelling. So I make it more reader friendly as well. And so that's kind of a next step for me that I'm working on. I've always written, you know, detailed analytical content. Now I'm trying to get better at the storytelling part of writing a really quality post. 
that ties into the shape of the post, right? The, the the macro shape of the post. Do you use things like short sentences? Do you use questions, like things like that to try and make the post more readable? The whole thing, all the proper writing conventions for the internet, you've got to have them all. Is, is there any particular resources that you've you've studied in this area and that you found useful? You know, it's pretty well known, Tim. You, you, this really breaks down to a couple different ideas, right? So you've got what we'll call conventional on-page SEO and conventional copywriting. And that's what we're in right now, right? We're talking about on-page SEO where you've got, you know, proper title tag, keyword research, you know, you structure your post with the H1, the H2s, bullet points, make it scan friendly because people want to scan content on the internet. Use your images, get the title tag and alt tag in there. You know, this is all like really standard, well-known, well-understood, well-documented on-page SEO. And then we're bridging the topic over to what we'll call quality, which is a little bit more what we'll say is ethereal, right? And that gets into storytelling and all that, but it dramatically impacts user experience, which Google's now tracking. And so they're very good at it. The new machine learning algorithms appear to be very good at it. And so if you're telling a story and you hook the reader in from the beginning with a compelling story as part of your content strategy that ties into the post, that's only going to improve the quality stats because you're, again, you're improving user experience. There's layers to it. One is the natural on-page SEO. The other is you know, keyword research, all this standard stuff. But then there's what we'll call the more ethereal stuff about quality and how you create a quality experience. And this seems consistent with your approach overall, which is to basically understand the conventional wisdom, but then say, you're not going to be a slave to that because you're still going to come back to the user and say, how could I make whatever this is, whether this is a piece of content, whether this is a layout, the absolute best and most useful for that person, right? So if conventional wisdom was that long sentences were going to be better, in the UK, we'd say you'd have the balls to say, well, actually, do you know what? That's not going to be most engaging for my visitor. So I'm going to let that be the ultimate decision maker here, rather than conventional wisdom. Because I think conventional wisdom, particularly when it comes to some on-page SEO stuff, can be uh, contradictory at best. Well, yeah. And how, I mean, conventional wisdom changes with time. Like I shared in our last interview that conventional wisdom, when I started this was, you know, 300 to 500 word posts doing soundbite posts. Now the conventional wisdom is moving towards long form, high quality content. So I was doing long form, high quality content back when the conventional wisdom was 300 to 500 word posts because I cared about quality and I cared about user experience. And so I think what you want to do is you want to really look at what your brand is what it stands for and what the right keyword themes are for your site and your brand, right? Once you get that as a starting point with what we'll call conventional SEO, then you just focus on, you know, what you want to stand for and how you want it to look. Don't get too hung up on all the conventional wisdom except for understanding it for where it's useful. So for example, when I, when I talked about all the on-page SEO, that's just well-proven. You don't have to recreate the wheel there, right? The on-page SEO is well-documented. Yoast SEO is a great plugin for it. And there's plenty of articles over on SEO Moz and Yoast and wherever else where there's authoritative sites on SEO. And so that's just not rocket science. There's all kinds of good checklists you can find online and just do it, right? You don't have to recreate the wheel. But when it comes to what your site stands for, looks like, how it presents itself, what style you write in, whether you use humor, whether you use research, you know, that's all part of your branding and your brand message. And that's where the art form comes in. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm interested to get your opinion on where you think things are going over the next few years. We're seeing, for example, 
video become more and more important and there's some indication that Google started or at least is looking into the words used in video and, and considering indexing them. How do you think, if we were to have this conversation in, say, three years' time, what, what do you think might have changed about your approach or, or, I guess, the conventional wisdom as well? Well, I'll be adding video to my site. I'm going to be doing it a little bit different. Again, this is understanding the medium. Video, you know, people don't want long-form video. It's different. Long-form content, people do want. If, they, if they're a reader, they will read long-form content. They want the detailed analysis. Long-form video is just incredibly tedious. People don't want to sit around and watch. They want the message quick and in a soundbite. That's, that's the nature of the medium. That's not just the trend of the day. And so what I'll probably be doing is I'll be bringing in video, but it's going to be like sections of the article. So like I might have a 10,000-word post, and then there would be three videos about subtopics within that post. So like you click on the video and you get an analysis that lends itself to visual demonstration. Like I might have a whiteboard demonstration of a topic in there, or I might have, you know, some other thing that lends itself to video, right? So you got to think about the medium and what it's useful for and what the proper structure is for it. So you'll probably see in the future, my content, it's already mapped. I, I have a content audit 2.0 plan and in there is to add slide shares and add videos. How long do you allow for, let's take the original content audit, from the process, from the time when you said the site isn't good, I'm, I'm not proud of it, to the site being in a situation which you, were, which you were happy with? Are we talking months? Yeah, it took me a little over a year. Wow. Yeah, and that was with an assistant who did a lot of the heavy lifting. Now, I did other stuff in between. I had coaching clients, I had other things. It's not like the only thing I did, but it took a while, right? Because what we were doing... Part of my process was a bit more tedious than most in that I had made the mistake, again, this goes back quite a ways, but I had made the mistake of publishing my pillar posts as pages. So what I did, my strategy, because back then people used to strip the RSS feed and then republish it as their own content. Now, Google's smart and they, they pick up on it and it doesn't, it's not a problem anymore. I mean, people still do it, but it doesn't cause you a problem. Back then it was a real problem because if a site that had higher authority than me stripped one of my pillar posts and then republished as their own content, they would rank, not me. And they would show it as their own and it would make me look like the copycat because my site wasn't authoritative yet. And so I had this really stupid idea that what I would do is I'd publish it in pages because then it doesn't show up in the RSS feed. And then I sent out like this kind of little junkie post that explained where the pillar post was and what it was about. I kind of gave an overview of it. And that was the thing I sent out in the RSS feed. And that way, if people stripped it, they were just linking back to my site, right? Back to my pillar post. <laughs> I thought I was really clever, but the problem is I made a jumbled mess of my site, right? So I had all this content over in pages that was then semi-repeated over in categories. And then as WordPress progressed, all the plugins and everything managed through categories. The WordPress is designed to have your pages as your admin and your categories as your content. And I was fighting that. And I finally had to just throw in the towel and say, okay, I got to do it the way WordPress wants. Plus Google got more sophisticated over that time to where they could detect the copycats and it was no longer a concern. So I was left with having to republish the bulk of all my pillar posts and then having to 301 redirect everything. Plus I was deleting all the the overview articles. So, I mean, I had a mess on my hands. So mine was more complicated than most. If I could do it, I mean, most people have a way simpler process than I faced. Yeah. How, how does somebody know if they need to do a content audit? Is this... Basically, if you've been at, if you've been at it for 
two, three years and you've got 100, 200 articles or more, there's almost no way that you haven't learned, improved, and embodied a ton of mistakes along the way. So, I mean, it's almost for sure you need a content audit at that point. Again, look at the analogy we started the interview with. You know, your site is almost assuredly like a first draft of a book. And if that's what you want it to be, then great. But if, you know, once you're 100, 200 articles in, you want to look at that and go, no, I need to really tighten this up because now I know where I'm heading. Usually the way it works is you start with an idea and then you go forward, you go forward, and then, you know, you get reader feedback and you see what really gets, you know, generates interest and you find out what you like writing about and you improve your writing style and on and on and on. All these changes occur over the first two, three, five years. And so if you've been at it a while, basically you need a content audit. Todd, I'm happy to, uh, I'm happy to wrap up there unless there's anything else that you think we, we need to cram in for people. I think that's given people a really good kind of overview of the, uh, of the content audit process. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't have anything to add other than just to be really clear that it's not just about deleting the junk posts. If you just go through and delete your junk posts, you'll improve your site dramatically. And usually most people see that do just this one thing, see 20, 30, 40% increase in traffic just by deleting their junk and doing a proper 301 redirect. That's what I've seen from most feedback from people who have implemented that. So that alone will help and it's quick and easy to do. But if you really want to get the full bang out of this and really get your site on track, you have to do all these quality measures. It's really about improving the quality of your site, of which just one piece of it is the deletion of junk content. So I just try to be clear on that because I've seen a lot of people mistakenly approach this and think, hey, I just deleted a third of my posts. Now I've done everything I should do. No, 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 no. That's a good starting point. That's the first thing I did, but then I went on to consolidate my articles. I went on to rewrite articles. I went on to add all the images. I went on to do all the internal linking properly. You know, I even had, like, I had a lot of inline coding, HTML coding inside the pages and posts. You know, I got rid of all that. Everything's done with CSS now. Again, you know, getting your code base cleaned up and it's just, there's a whole process to it. You want to focus on quality at every level, every level of your site. From the code base to the images to the written content to the design, everything. And it's a fantastic, uh, a fantastic place to wrap up. So, Todd, thank you so much for joining us and, and through take, uh, for taking us through that process. For those who didn't check out the first episode, uh, where can people find out a bit more about you and Financial Mentor? So, financialmentor.com. Uh, so, it's two words financial mentor strung together, financialmentor.com. And I give away a free book, 18 Essential Lessons of a Self-Made Millionaire. Um, so, cause my site's about building wealth and financial freedom. So come to me if you're interested in that topic. If you want financial independence and you're tired of financial traditional financial advice and you want more advanced planning strategies and more advanced investment strategies, that's what you'll get at my site. So I give away the one book, 18 Essential Lessons of Self-Made Millionaire for people that subscribe. And then I also give away a free e-course called 52 Weeks to Financial Freedom. And so, no, you won't get rich in, in quick in 52 weeks. We're not about get rich quick, but you will get a complete overview of how the wealth building process works, how it's structured, what the steps are you'll go through, what the essential knowledge is that you're required to have. So you can at least get a good solid overview of the process and you, know, you have a roadmap, if you will, at that point. And I give away all that for free. So it just helps people understand if they're in the right place or not. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us, Todd. And thank you so much for your time. I know you're a very, very busy man. Um, and thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you, Tim.